Shadow of the Hook by Wolfgang Wimmers Passage 4 Insects, Swamps and Majestic Chomps Oscar's watch, it was 12.33pm when the group set off back up the hill to get the supplies. About time for lunch. When they reached the house, Mum and Dad, for some strange reason only adults understood, were out back, shoveling snow out of the garden. So, leaving the others outside, Oscar snuck in through the front door and ducked upstairs where he grabbed a few more items for their journey. A packet of sweets, a small cushion from Rose's room, and a small towel the latter items for the comfort of the two at the bottom of the pack. As Oscar bounded back down the stairs, he noticed a plate of sandwiches on the kitchen table. He quickly grabbed a lunchbox from the cupboard and stuffed them inside, then wrote Mum a thank-you note on the kitchen pad and shot off back out the door. Together again, the companions headed up the road toward the forest entrance the now-bulging pack on Oscar's back. As they passed the neighbouring house, they shot a glance into its front window. They could see Johnny and Carl sitting in the lounge, playing board games with Anita, Jess and Kate, all friends from Rose's class. The others actually are over at Johnny and Carl's house, Rosa said, then jumped at the sudden sound of a dog barking uncontrollably. They'd been spotted by their classmate's little chihuahua, dressed for today in a bright orange snowsuit and brown woolen booties. He was now barreling toward them, making a heck of a lot of noise for such a little dog. Shh, Wolf, said Oscar. But Wolf didn't shh. He kept barking, large chihuahuan eyes bulging in their teensy sockets as he paced back and forth along the fence line. The bell on the cat collar that Carl made him wear was tinkling furiously. I think you can smell these two, Oscar said, pointing at the backpack. We'd better get a move on then, before we're spotted, said Rosa. As they headed further up the road, snow began to fall around them in a slow pitter-patter. Inside the backpack, Ash was closely examining Von Lipp's map while Quilby mashed a coarse paste in a grey stone bowl as they bounced along. I know this cliff, said Ash, pointing at the map. We, I mean, I, used to fly in races around here. Well, when I had working wings, I did. The cliff sits directly under the hook. Quilby patted his friend's shoulder. Well, at least we, we know where to go. Did did you ever see a cave around there? No. All I ever saw were cliff walls and lots of fallen rocks. The children had reached the edge of the forest. Where the path and the trees began, moss and earth stuck out from under caps of ice, and the blackened boughs of saplings hung, heavily laden with snow. Oscar zipped open the backpack, and Ash and Quilby climbed out. Quilby, who had been busy working his hat magic again, 
offered each of his companions a small package that was wrapped in a soft orange flower petal. Here, rub this on your hands and faces. It will keep you warm. Ash looked up at the children and said, Hmm, uh, don't ask what's in it, as he began rubbing the mixture onto his hands and dabbing it on his neck and face. He then turned and started up the path, smiling to himself. Rosa looked at Quilby suspiciously, but he simply gave an innocent shrug of his shoulders. Oscar chuckled and applied the mixture as Ash had done. The texture of the paste was mushy, but it gave off a sweet apricot-like smell. Then he, too, took off up the path. "'Go on, Rosa. It, it, it will keep you warm,' said Quilby, generously slopping the paste all over his large ears. "'You need it where, where we're going.' "'It's not that bad, sis,' Oscar called back from up the track. "'It smells like fruit.' Rosa looked at her neatly wrapped parcel and sighed. There had been so many new experiences today, she might as well try this magical mix too. Turning the parcel over in her hands a few times, she squished it, studying the paste's dull green colour. She squeezed her palms together, and just as she was touching her hands to her face, she heard Ash yell out, It's Caterpillar! from up ahead, where he was quickly shuffling out of sight around a bend in the track. What? Really? asked Rosa, a horrified look on her paste-covered face. Quilby smiled innocently and nodded. Disgusted, Rosa wanted to wipe the paste off with the small towel they'd packed. But Oscar had the bag and was already well ahead. She shook her head and reluctantly applied the paste to the rest of her exposed skin. Moments later, a soothing warmth spread right through her body from ears to toes. Magic! It worked. Feeling excited once more about this enchanted adventure, she ran to catch up with her friends as they went deeper into the forest. As she rejoined the group, she heard Ash saying, These tracks were made by humans, so if we come across any others of your kind, we'll have to hide. Quickly. Keep a watch and an ear out, everyone. Got it, Rosa said, impulsively reaching down to take Ash's little hand in hers. The fairy gave her a surprised look, then smiled, and together the two turned to continue up on the path. Behind them, Oscar fell in beside Quilby. "'I suppose we should find out a bit more about each other, now that we're travel companions,' he said. Well, "'Why, yes, of course. The magical realm is, is open to you too now, and, and you're right. We've got some ways to travel together, so... If anything, it will f f f fill in the time. I live on the outskirts of, of Windermere, under a huge w willow tree, with my family. That's uh, m my parents, my grandfather, my b b brothers, and, and me, and, and Ash. How, how could I forget Ash? He's been staying with us for a while, too. What do you mean by under a willow tree? Do you all sleep amongst the dirt and the roots, Oscar asked. Uh, no, we're, we're gnomes. We, we live in a, a burrow. It, it's huge, with so many p -p -p passages and rooms that, that we, we can't even remember where some of them lead, or what's in them. We gnomes love to burrow, 
My b b b brothers are all strong diggers, so they do spend a lot of time looking for precious stones. Rosa, who was listening in from ahead, and who loved all things that sparkled, asked, What kind of precious stones? They find amethyst and, and greenstone, and on the rare occasion they find something tr 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 truly special, like a, like a diamond or, or a ruby. That's amazing, said Rosa. What do they do with them? They, they trade them at the fairy markets, mostly for cloth and for expensive foods, Quilby said, patting his round belly. <laughs> we gnomes do like a feast. He paused. But I'm, I'm not a digger. When I was a young gnome, even though I was smart enough, I suppose I, I never seemed to quite get things right to fit in with the others. I, I, I never enjoyed carving earth and rock like my b b brothers do, because what I loved was magic, he chuckled. <laughs> That's how I got my name. In instead of having a mining pick in my hand, I always had a quill. Uh, what's a quill? asked Rosa. A quill is a f f feather that's filled with ink. We use them to write with, Quilby said. D -d Don't you have them? Um, I think Von Lipp drew the map with one of them, said Oscar. But until today I've never seen one. We use pens. They can write for ages, not like your quills. P -p pens, you call them. How intriguing. How, how do these p pens work? I suppose they work by some kind of automatic ink delivery mechanism. Do they operate by... Ash interrupted. Uh, Quilby, I, I think Oscar wanted to know more about you, not to discuss the mechanics of writing implements. Uh, oh, yes. What, what, what was I saying? Um, the other gnomes all thought I, I was a bit of an oddball growing up. Uh, so I, I, I found comfort in talking to my grandfather. He had been a, a great wizard in his day, but as he got older, he started to forget things. N now he just sleeps, eats, pats his pet mole, and sits by the fire. But uh, I was lucky enough to learn as much of the simple magic from him as I could before he forgot it all. And one day I hoped to become as grand a wizard as he once was. Oscar noticed that Quilby's stuttering had almost disappeared while he was talking about his grandfather and magic. "'Weren't you looking for your grandfather's old spellbook when the Grobble started chasing you?' he asked. "'Indeed, indeed,' said Quilby. "'You see, my grandfather's spellbook is very special because it contains the type of magic that's been lost to us gnomes. The magic that I know how to use requires a lot of preparation.' In this magic, almost every spell requires the mixing of a number of components, which are then accompanied by a word or a phrase. But the magic in the spellbook is of a different kind. It's verse magic. With verse magic, all you have to do is speak a verse. The spell is triggered without the need for potions or p packages. Quilby became more and more excited the more he spoke. It sounds simple, but it's amazingly complicated magic. I could talk about it for hours. 
That sounds cool, Oscar said hurriedly, cutting Quilby off. I, I hope you find it one day. Turning quickly to Ash, he went on. How did you get your name, Ash? There's nothing special about my name, lad, came the prompt response from Ash. As he spoke, his broken stub of a wing twitched. Quilby's face lit up and a glint came to his eye. You, you'll find this is just story behind every name in the magical world, Oscar. M my brothers and I used to try and figure out the m m m meaning behind Ash's name. I don't think the children want to hear about that, Quill, said Ash. Quilby smiled a cheeky grin, but said no more. Silence fell among the companions for a time, as they continued making their way uphill, each following their own thoughts. Glancing across to her brother, Rosa noticed the sadness in his face once more. She wondered if now might be a good time to ask him about what was bothering him. But, then again, he had seemed a bit better since they had met Ash and Quilby. Perhaps she should let it be. After they had walked for about fifteen minutes, they stopped to take a moment's rest at a fork in the path. To the left, the same path they were on continued, but to the right, a dark trail led steeply upwards. The, the path to the right is, is fastest, said Quilby. It can take us d d directly through the magical barriers up to the cliffs under the hook. But, but, but it, it would take us uh, uh, close to the uh, Grubble's cave. No, I don't think we should go near the Grubble, said Rosa. And that path just feels wrong to me. Where does the other one go? It, it would get us to the cliffs eventually, Quilby said. But, but there's difficult ground to cross that way and we'd, we'd have to go through a, a very d dark part of the forest. Here's what I think, said Oscar. If, if the Grubble has Sandy, he's much more likely to be out trying to find us than back at his cave. And there's also the fact that Rosa and I shouldn't be away from home too much longer. So I reckon we should take the short path to the right. Since no one could argue with Oscar's logic, the companions took the right-hand path up the dark, steep slope. But Rosa's scared face showed her concern. They trudged upwards. As Oscar turned to talk to Rosa, his eyes widened. Hovering just a few inches above her left shoulder was a gigantic wasp, the largest insect he'd ever seen. Uh, don't panic, Rosa, but there's a really big wasp above. Rosa immediately panicked and ran screaming into Oscar, her arms flailing as she shrieked. As the creature dove for Rosa, Oscar in turn crashed backward into Ash and Quilby, who struggled to avoid being trampled. Oscar reacted quickly, reaching into the backpack and pulling the towel out by one corner. He swirled it and flicked it out of the creature, a perfect shot. As he watched it fall to the ground, he was astonished to see it, quite unexpectedly, burst into a small bright flame, then disappeared altogether. Ooh, that stinks! Rosa said, scrunching up her face. It's, it's like burnt hair! What was that? asked Oscar, looking to the two fairy folk for help. Wasps don't just burst into flame. Quilby examined the ashes. I, I've never seen a creature of this k k kind before, but there's, there's definitely some magic afoot. It, it, it may be more of a spell, 
than an actual creature. We should keep moving. And fast. Watch out, Oscar! came a cry from Ash. But it was too late. Another giant flying creature was at Oscar's shoulder, stinger poised. Before Oscar could swat it away, it had dug in deep, delivering three sharp stings in rapid succession. Oscar reeled in agony and cried out, tears spilling out onto his face. It was the worst pain he'd ever experienced. With each agonizing throb of pain, it felt like his whole shoulder had doubled in size. It's not over yet, called out Ash. Although the latest creature had also burst into flame a moment after stinging Oscar, now yet another appeared to threaten them. This one hovered a couple of feet above the companion's heads, its abdomen tilted at an angle and its wings flapping furiously. A loud, angry humming sound filled the air. Ash, brandishing what to him was a club, but in reality was a five-inch-long twig, began menacingly waving his weapon at the wasp thing. Oscar collapsed onto one knee from the pain, clutching his shoulder. It was excruciating. Rosa! Quilby shouted. Let let me into the backpack. I, I need to make some magic. Rosa hurried to place the backpack on the ground, unzipping it wide enough for Quilby to jump in. We have to get out of here, yelled Ash. Back down to the fork. The creature above them had now ceased its ominous hovering and was flying around angrily. It looked ready to attack at any moment. But this wasn't the worst of it. As Rosa glanced up the path, she saw at least 20 more racing towards them. Oh no, what do we do, guys? She yelled in panic. Run! At that very moment, the two frog brothers found themselves once more wetting their backs at the bottom of a small waterfall. But this was no relaxing interlude. They were still trapped in their vile vine harnesses. Grawp was in a state of utter distress, unable to jump out of the tangle of vines. He licked a tear from his eye. The evening before had been one of the most horrible nights of the brothers' lives. First, they'd been captured by the monstrous grobbling creature, then had a very close call with the hairy, sharp-toothed beast and its swinging whip. Fortunately, as the lads had made their escape from the beast that prowled the blue pond, luck had been with them. When the beast grasped the vines that were tied to them and wrenching them down from the ledge, they had smacked into it with such force that it let out a high-pitched yelp, then whimpered and ducked away. The lads had looked desperately around for another means of escape, but the beast was upon them again. To their astonishment, however, there was no growling this time, and the beast had now tucked its whip between its legs, just as it had when its master had called. It sniffed at them, and then of all things, began licking Trevor with its warm tongue. Trevor froze and could do nothing but watch in disgust as the beast covered him in its slobber. Beside him, Grawp had looked on in horror, stunned. Was he next? As the brothers had pondered how to deal with this new turn of events, the giant booming voice rang out into the night again. Wolf! Get back inside your box! With that, the beast had meekly retreated into a square cave by the pond. In some kind of bizarre ritual, it followed its own whip around the small space a few times, circling, before settling down on the floor and resting its head on its claws. 
Continuing to eye the beast warily, the lads had summoned the last of their strength and leapt up onto the ledge once more. They slowly made their way back to their favourite waterfall to get some well-earned rest before embarking on the journey to the swamp the next day. They were exhausted and still entangled in the grubble's nasty vines, but at least they had escaped the beast. Now, having slept in the soothing waters of the waterfall well into the day, they awoke, hunger gnawing at their stomachs. Swamp, croaked Trevor. Grop nodded in agreement. The two brothers leapt clumsily off in the direction of the murky swamp that slushed between Windward Heights and the gloomy forest beyond. They were looking forward to sampling the juicy insects that lived in the swamp. Zipping dragonflies, juicy blowflies and zooming mosquitoes would soon be tasty treats for their tongues. The boys bounced along well enough, although the jumble of vines wrapped about their legs slowed them a bit, often snagging on twigs and roots. Nothing, however, would keep them from their lunch, so they kept going in hopes the vines would finally break free on their own. They were almost at the swamp, when they happened upon a small clearing, filled from edge to edge with the most luscious green grass. In the middle rose a small mound, upon which grazed a majestic-looking creature, like none they had seen before. It was graced with a coat of pure white, from head to hoof, and a single twisted horn extended from its noble head. It looked at them for a moment, as they entered the clearing then went back to chewing lazily on the succulent grass. The boys were distracted away from the fascinating sight by a huge, juicy fly that hummed past them in the direction of the swamp. They loved nothing more than chasing a juicy swamp fly, never felt so alive as when they had a delicious bug to catch, and so they were off once more, quickly forgetting about the fantastic creature. They zigged and zagged, crossing paths and jumping off each other's backs, to try and gain enough height to catch the fly, but their dangling vines made this problematic. Nonetheless, they tangled and untangled, jumped and jostled, until finally the swamp appeared just ahead. What the frogs called a swamp wasn't really a swamp at all. In fact, it was more like a thermal pool. Hot water seeping up from the earth made the pool cool enough for some mosses and water plants to grow but warm enough to melt snow and keep the water from freezing. This being an ancient volcanic region, there was a slight smell of rotting eggs, but the two frogs didn't mind. As Grop and Trevor neared the swamp's edge, they saw, for the second time in as many minutes, something that stopped them dead in their tracks. Ahead of them, astride a huge swamp rat, was the vile creature that had ridden them like sleds only yesterday. <laughs> 